Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. If you're from the Fort Wayne area, you'll know who our guest is immediately. Uh, Dakota and I are doing business here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And through some miracle, we ended up getting (laughs) Mayor Tom Henry on our podcast. Super excited to talk to him, ask him some questions. And uh, honored to have you as guest. My pleasure entirely. Thank you yeah. for inviting me. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So uh, one of the questions that we end up asking a lot of podcast guests, just because we feel like it it opens people up and kind of gives us an idea of, of how it was for them growing up and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, regardless of what you've accomplished in life, we uh, believe that like everybody's just a kid from somewhere. Well, sure. So you grew up. During a lot different time than we did. Yes, I You're did. a little bit older than we are. <laughs> Quite a bit older. <laughs> and uh, so you grew up in the 50s and the 60s. Correct. Uh, I imagine life was a lot different back then. It appeared to many of us as young people that it was a much quieter time, a lot less threatening. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, our parents didn't necessarily feel that way, but we felt it was a great time to be alive. Uh, now, I have quite a few si- siblings. I have 10 brothers and, and, and six sisters. What? So there Jeez. were 17 children all together, and we had our own playmates kind of built in to the system. Uh, so if we couldn't find our friends or our friends were not available to us, uh, we would just you know play with each other, and our family is still very close. I lost a brother uh, as a result of Vietnam, uh, but uh, the rest of us are still hanging around. Almost all of us are still here in Fort Wayne. Wow! I have uh, 150 nieces and nephews, and uh, well, that's how that's how I get elected. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get the extended family. Yeah, going. you're like, hey, I uh, need some votes. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, no, our, our family has been in Fort Wayne for well over 100 years, and. Uh, all of us uh, have decided to pretty much continue to stay here. Wow. So what is it like? So where are you at in that uh, secession as well? And then what is it like, I mean, I, growing I'm up with that? I'm number two. <laughs> no way. Yeah. You're the second oldest? I have an older brother, and then there's me. Uh, in fact, the youngest, uh, who is my sister, Jessica, she runs Humane Fort Wayne. Wow. Former SPCA. Uh, but she was, a, she was born a month after I got out of the Army. So... Wow. I got out of the Army in July of 73, and she was born in August. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't even know my mother was pregnant. I was overseas. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's a story in and of itself. So would you would you have grown up then? I imagine it would have been more difficult for your parents to continue to provide resources mm-hmm. for 16 kids. There are some benefits where you can pass down clothes and that sort of thing, but I imagine yeah. you probably had to get a job pretty young too. Oh, we, I, we all— started working young because obviously we didn't have any spending money. My father was a social worker. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, my mother never worked outside the home. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I wasn't going to say she didn't work because uh, working at home with, with all of my siblings, uh, that was a lot of work in and of itself. But my father never made much money, uh, so we, we didn't have much as far as materialistic offerings in the community. But we never knew. I didn't know we were poor until I got in college, mm-hmm. and I was studying sociology, and I read in the book, and I, damn, we were poor. Um, <laughs> because my parents never 
never made us feel that way. We did have a lot of hand-me-downs. My mother was a tremendous seamstress, so she would make my sister's clothes, and she would fix our clothes and so on. Uh, and it, we were used to Dad going to discount department stores and, mm-hmm. and other types of, of uh, offerings in the community that, that would bring um, clothing and the like at a much lesser price. And that's the way we lived. Uh, but I think that's probably served us all well because uh, I think all of us are, are fiscally conservative, mm-hmm. socially aware, socially progressive, but I think fiscally conservative. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it looks it looks like previously you were in business, too, because you're talking about being fiscally conservative. <laughs> but I was doing some research and I was trying to figure out, like, OK, well, what was – uh, Mayor Henry mm-hmm. in to before he got into yeah. politics, or maybe you were always into politics, but before that you had some business ventures. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I was like, okay, it looked like he did some home remodeling. That's something that we sort of have in common. It's always nice right. to find common ground. What what got you into real estate and what made you want to do that? Well, actually, I had some friends uh, who were, I guess you call them the stereotypical handyman mm-hmm. uh, type of person. Uh, they both knew how to fix roofs. They knew how to do plumbing, basic electrical work, and so on. And they would hire themselves out from time to time to, uh, you know, to work in different people's homes and, and small businesses and the like. Well, we were all friends. Now, I, those talents I didn't have, mm-hmm. but I had a relatively good business head as far as being able to keep ledger sheets and knowing what a balance statement was and mm-hmm. all of that. Well, that was their week area. So we all got together and decided we would start up a company. It was called Cardinal Renovations. Oh. And I would go out and do the sales work, and I would do the bookkeeping and accounting, and they would do all the manual labor. Wow. And we had that in place for a while, but unfortunately, both of those gentlemen are no longer with us mm. uh, for um, you know, health reasons. They, we lost them both. Mm. So uh, the company no longer exists. But it was, uh, it was a fun time. Wow. When you say uh, you did sales work, what, what do you mean by that? Like you were the acquisitions? Like, Well, I would go out and uh, contract a, a lot of times with landlords for mm. us to go in and do work in their homes to fix them up for new tenants Okay. Uh, or to add on to a home. Uh, we had a couple of uh, actually very, very good contracts with mobile home courts. Mm. We would go in and either build or repair all their carports. Well, if you've got a large mobile home community with, you know, several hundred mobile homes and they each have a carport uh, and the owner of the of the uh, park wants those things upgraded and painted and, and fixed and so on, it, it kept us pretty busy. Wow. Good deal. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Where did you grow up and how big was your house? And like how many <laughs> how many kids were in that house at the same time? I'm just like curious because I grew up. So I grew up with six brothers and good sisters. Size, size yeah. Family. And I thought that was a lot. Yeah, and a we lot. all shared one bathroom. So yes, I'm curious about like what you 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 guys all shared one. One and a half. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Walk us through where you grew up because you said you're all in Fort Wayne. Like right. what area? How big the oh, house? Boy. Well, the. My formative years, 6 through 12, we actually lived in an old farmhouse out where Canterbury Green is. Oh, my gosh. Uh, back then, back in the 50s, that was all farmland. I, wow. IPFW wasn't out there. Canterbury Green wasn't there. Uh, across the street, which is now across St. Joe Road, which is a continuation of uh, uh, Indiana uh, University. Mm-hmm. And I think... 
is that Ivy Tech's out there too or something? Uh, none of that was. It was all cornfields. So we just had a. We, there were two farmhouses out there, and we lived in one of them. We went to St. Charles uh, Elementary School. The Tipman family and the Henry family. We pretty much made up the whole school. Wow. Uh, there were a lot of us, uh, but that's where I spent about uh, five or six years of my life. And then we moved back into the core of the city, which is. Uh, uh, right around uh, Fifth Street, Fourth Street, uh, Wall Street. Is that Marfold. 08? That's the 08 yeah. okay. district. That's correct. Uh, uh, there by the Green Frog. Yep. Um, the, we grew up there again for several more years. And then my father uh, became warden of a prison in, wow. in Pendleton, Indiana. Uh, the commissioner of the Department of Corrections was a social worker, and he hired my father to run the reformatory in Pendleton to try to give it uh, a little more uh, value as far as being a true reformatory. They just didn't want to warehouse men. They wanted to try to teach them something. So they brought in all kinds of trade possibilities and so on. And Dad was there for about three years, and then they changed governors, so my father lost his job, moved back to Fort Wayne, and uh, we've pretty much been here ever since. Wow. Again, I was, co- I was gone for a few years in the service. But uh, outside of that, this has pretty much been home. Wow. So how, how, how big was your house then, like the ones that you guys were living in? Oh, the one on the old farmhouse. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember how many children. I think we had 12 or 13 of us out there. And there were one, two, three, four, five bedrooms. Wow! So you guys like bunk beds? And oh my gosh, yes. Well, yeah. we had all you know, all five of my sisters at that time all were in the same bedroom, uh, and and five of my brothers were in the same bedroom. So, um, uh, yeah, we made we made it work. Yeah. What did you What did you learn <laughs> from that? Like, because I feel like having siblings, you know, like I had to I had to learn a lot of patience. I grew up with two sisters, and so like you know they were always in the bathroom. They took forever. <laughs> like seriously, so like I'm like man, like they take forever to get ready yeah. and stuff. Oh, and, sure. And then the funny thing is, like I just learned a lot. Like uh, I was very organized. They were very dirty, and it was very weird because I'm a guy and they're a girl, and everybody thinks they're cleaner. So like I just had to adjust who I was. So I'm curious with that many people, like if you learned a lot of lessons. I think we had to. Uh, some of them you just talked about, uh, uh, and, and that was to be organized. We didn't have a lot. So whatever you had, you better take care of. Mm-hmm. You better make sure that you knew where it was at and so on. Uh, but we also learned patience. Uh, and my, my parents were not into us uh, fighting each other physically. My mother and father were both pacifists at heart. Uh, so they didn't like us physically. Uh, duking it out with one another, we boys. So dad would take us into his bedroom, his mom's bedroom, or someplace else, and make us talk it out. Mm. Uh, and always, he always felt that you know, many, many arguments, many, many disagreements could be handled through conversation yeah. and dialogue versus physical uh, altercations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, he taught us that. Obviously, of fiscal conservatism, we didn't have much money, so uh, we, uh, I, I think, learned that you know, to try to make your dollars stretch, yeah, and uh, not waste money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think all of those were real valuable lessons yeah. growing up. Did you guys? Did you ever have physical altercations? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, boys, not so much yeah. girls. 
but uh, oh, we boys fought all the time. Yeah, and mom used to turn the garden hose on us. And <laughs> we'd be outside fighting. She would, she wouldn't lose her temper. She'd just go get the garden hose and turn it on us. That's awesome. Oh, that, that was terrible. <laughs> uh, but, uh, that's how that's how Tony and I met actually. So uh, Tony had a fight club in his backyard. Started uh, um, posted on YouTube and everything. Like it was people in high school. It was like the talk of the whole school. You know, everybody's like, oh, day we got this person fighting this person. Tony's the matchmaker. <laughs> And Tony fought too. And so I'm like, dude, I want to learn how to fight. And so, uh, yeah, that's how we met was through fighting. Pulling data lists like vacant houses, mortgage foreclosures, and tax delinquent properties is important to direct to seller marketing. Batch Leads is the main platform where we store our sellers' data and skip trace owners for their phone numbers, emails, and addresses. On other platforms, you end up having to pay twice for the same contact if you've already skip traced it. My favorite thing about batch leads is that if you skip traced a contact once, you never have to pay for that contact again. Batch leads has SMS texting campaigns, direct mail marketing, and driving for dollars app integrated in a simple to use interface. Click the link below and try batch leads today. That's, I, I had two brothers, have two, well, uh, uh, there were three sets of twins in our family. Oh, my god! The oldest set, identical twins, uh, Tim and Tony. T Tim was the one who, who died. Uh, but his identical twin brother, the two of them as teenagers, uh, used to box. Mm -hmm. And they would box just to uh, uh, show off the fact that two identical twin brothers would fight each other in, in the ring. And That's they crazy. And they would wear the same color boxing shorts so people couldn't tell them apart yeah, the they didn't know who was winning oh that's so uh, funny oh yeah it was uh, that's so funny the judge is like exactly. <laughs> like i don't i don't even know what's going on those were, those i mean were, those are fun days the judges never really know what's going on anyway <laughs> if you ever watch fights they're like you're like how did they even think that person's winning like it doesn't make any sense anyway obviously they would do that on purpose to screw everybody up and, and they did that's awesome. So did you uh, did you ever do any boxing or anything like that? I was terrible uh, because I flinched. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, you've got you got to be able to yeah. to keep your eyes wide open, as they say, and, and anticipate. And I, uh, I it wasn't that I couldn't fight. I mm -hmm. just flinched, which yeah. was which proved to be it's hard. Uh, a big mistake on my part. I got hit more often than I landed punches. So yeah, I, I decided to take my father's advice and try to talk my way out of things. Hundred percent. So I'm actually kind of <laughs> curious now. What do you think about like uh, like Obviously, back in the 50s or 60s, it's a lot different. I feel like it was a lot more physical. And I'm more of the mindset, like, obviously, I think difficult conversations are the most important things. I, I heard a quote that says the, the, the amount of difficult conversations you have are, is basically the quality of life that you're going to have. Because mm -hmm. if you're able to have those difficult conversations, Correct. your life's going to be better, whether it's your wife, whether it's uh, a sales environment or anything. But I also think sometimes it's like, really good just to like all right let's just fight like if somebody wants to just fight let's fight if we both agree <laughs> to it i will never physically fight anybody if they don't want to but i think that it's like kind of lost that what do you think about the difference well i've never felt that physical altercations um were way out of uh, of uh, most things mm. uh obviously having been in the military i i understand um the necessity of becoming physical if you have to. Mm -hmm. But rarely, except in a war-type situation, uh, is that necessary. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, not everybody believes that. Uh, 
but I agree with you that the vast majority of intelligent people uh, can use conversation, use dialogue as a way to solve a problem. Oh. Uh, becoming physical uh, really doesn't solve the problem. All yeah, that sure. all that does is is um, show that one person happens to be weaker than the other physically, but the problem is still there. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's actually funny that you say that because most of the time it is just like, all right, now you get the ego kind of out of the yep, way. Yep. Now let's have the conversation is usually how it goes. Like, you know, whenever we fight people, it's more like, all right, now we know who would win. Mm -hmm. Now let's actually have the conversation that we should have had instead of like yeah. you thinking you're going to beat me or whatever. Let's just talk. So that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, you know, some people realize they don't have the ability to converse in an intellectual way. Mm -hmm. So they try to use... Uh, their physical strength mm. to make up for their lack of of uh, knowledge of a particular subject or whatever. They know they're going to lose that argument, so sure. instead they try to handle it physically. So, and that's unfortunate. But you know, again, that's and it, it, the sad thing is that's ha that hasn't changed in decades. When I yeah. grew up in the in the late fifties and in the sixties, although sixties was a really interesting time, there was a lot more make love, not war type of philosophy, mm. you know, Woodstock and all of that. A lot of, there was a lot going on in the drug scene. At that time, of course, marijuana and LSD were the two drugs of choice. Um, but there wasn't a lot of physical altercations taking place between individuals. It was more authority figures mm. with the young people. There were, of course, people have to understand, too, that uh, that was during the Vietnam War. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of tension, a lot of disagreement nationally on whether or not we should have been in Vietnam. And the young people were probably the most vocal in saying, we don't belong there. It's not our war. And, of course, the authoritarian figures in our country felt differently. Mm -hmm. And it resulted in a lot, a lot of physical violence between authority figures and young people, not so much young people between each other. Wow. Uh, most of them were, as I said, they, they were busy uh, with music. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but now today... Um, Again, it's, a, it's another challenging period in our history. Uh, yeah, just, the just proliferation of, of guns in our, in, in our country. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't necessarily get into the Second Amendment and so on, but uh, unquestionably there are hundreds of millions of weapons in this community, and many of them are weapons of mass destruction. Mm -hmm. uh, I know because I've, I've been there. I, I know what an AR-15 is. Yeah. Uh, uh, you don't use AR-15s for hunting. Mm -hmm. uh, you you use AR-15s for, I guess, target practice or to kill somebody. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what they're designed to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so when uh, you have students and other innocent people uh, taken down with weapons like that, I, I can see why there's a significant portion of our country get very upset about mm -hmm. that. Then you've got, of course, those who are firm believers in the Second Amendment. So you've got two very strong uh, voices. Uh, 
And unfortunately, from time to time, it does result in physical yeah. uh, altercations. And that's, that's most unfortunate. And, and I don't know the answer to that. I, I wish I did. I, yeah. I, I don't know if, if there is one single answer. But uh, I mean, as it was evidenced yesterday in Tennessee, mm-hmm. you know, the state legislature threw out two of their own. Mm. Uh, yeah, dismissed two representatives out of their House of Representatives because uh, these two men joined a bunch of students who were rebelling against guns. Wow. And the uh, uh, first time they've ever done that. Uh, it's, uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a very, very challenging environment out there now. So I think each generation has its own Yeah. Uh, Again, challenges. Well, what's funny to me is, uh, you know, you talked about it, and honestly, I I agree with it a lot. Is like you talked about intelligence versus violence, and I feel like we're actually facing the same thing right now, and we're all like focused on this gun thing. And realistically, there's actually like an intelligence things with this artificial intelligence, and like I was talking to Remington, which is a friend of mine who's been in the military for a long time, and he's like, wars are not fought like with guns or anything like anymore. No, it's 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 not even so much bombing anymore either. It's more like it's all about like the masses and the intelligence that we're using in order to like do it. It's all over like the internet and stuff. That's where the wars are being mm-hmm. fought. So it's interesting that you say violence mm-hmm. versus intelligence and like that's really what it is is I believe the intelligence is taking mm-hmm. over and now violence isn't even needed anymore because you can control yeah. people without the violence. Uh, Every westernized country, in fact, every country of any uh, value, uh, that's not the correct word, of any uh, significant economic value or military value knows that uh, many of us have possession of nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. So if we wanted to wipe each other out, we could do that. Mm -hmm. And that's what keeps us all in line. Mm-hmm. If you if Russia comes after us, we'll, we'll go after them. And same thing with China and some of these other larger uh, countries. So it's kind of a uh, uh, a situation where you just kind of keep an eye on each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I agree with you. I don't think the war, uh, although obviously we've got wars going on and, and young men and women are, are being yeah. killed, mm-hmm. but. Putting that aside just for a second, the real, uh, the real war is economic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Russia uh, is not going to declare war on the United States, not only because we have nuclear weapons, but because they depend so much on stuff that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they would starve their country, not only food-wise, but economically, period. Same thing with China. Uh, it, it is this whole uh, macroeconomic scene yeah. is such that there's so much interdependence on each other, mm-hmm. but we can't afford to go to war and cut that country out mm-hmm. because we depend too much on them and, and them on us. Yep. So it's it's uh, it's a real interesting again, social economic environment out there. Oh yeah, I watched a whole series with Ray Dalio and the dollar and all this stuff. It's definitely interesting, but- um, you oh, yeah, Just follow the money. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, so take us through, Sure. when did you first decide to get into politics? Oh. It seemed like it was a little bit later on. Uh-huh. And then how, what influenced you to take that stance and get into sure. politics? And what made you want to become the mayor? Oh boy. Uh, 
obviously as a young man, I grew up during the period of John Kennedy. Mm. And uh, he was a big influence in many people's lives uh, because he was young. Uh, he was progressive. Uh, he called for all of us as citizens to stand up and do something for our, our country. And these, he was making comments that previous uh, presidents had not really said in the vein that he did. Uh, so he, he stirred up a lot of people thinking about it. And I was only, I was pretty young, but it stuck. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when I got older, my father uh, wanted to be active in politics, volunteered for different people's campaigns. And I kind of tagged along with him. So I got a little bit of knowledge of the inner workings of political campaigns. And I kind of forgot about it. I went, again, I went off to college and, and to the service and so on. Uh, and when I got out of graduate school, I uh, worked at, at Parkview Hospital. Uh, and one of the requests from our CEO was that anybody in the administrative team, that we should get involved in the community do something in the community to give back, whether you serve on a board or a commission or join the PTA at a school, do something other than just your job. Uh, so I became a Red Cross volunteer. Mm. And we had several incidents throughout town uh, and that I got called into. One of them was in 1982 when we had a severe flood in our city. That's when President mm -hmm. Reagan came to town and mm -hmm. all of that, the city that saved itself. That's yeah, where that term came that was from. crazy. And we were under a lot of water. Yeah. A lot of it right in this area. Yeah, that was sitting. crazy. Uh, and uh, I, again, I was I was a Red Cross volunteer and we had an evacuation center that we were working. It was in the, in, in the gymnasium of Precious Blood School. We had turned all that into uh, evac site with... Uh, cots and so on, because we literally had to take, take people out of their homes. Their homes were underwater along uh, um, High Street and uh, 3rd Street mm -hmm. along the river. But anyway, uh, we began to run out of some supplies. And even though the Red Cross is a tremendous organization, we still ran short of supplies because people all over the city were being flooded. Uh, so I went downtown to the city-county building. I'd never been there in my life. All I know is I needed to see the mayor to get some stuff for my site. And, of course, they wouldn't let me in. Uh, you know, they, they kept the mayor under security, and I can understand that now. But uh, <laughs> uh, they wouldn't let me in. So they sent me to the city councilman for that area, and he could only help me in a limited fashion. And the more I thought about all of this, the more upset I got. And of course, I was a 31-year-old Democratic Turk, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I was just, you know, uh, uh, I just got fired up and said, we can do better than this. So I, I ran against him on for city council, and I won. Wow. Uh, and so I went to uh, my first city council meeting, had never having been there before. So I really was learning by the school of hard knocks. And obviously, I made a few mistakes along the way, but I ended up serving on city council 20 years. Wow. Uh, and then I got beat. Uh, we did a lot of annexation out north along the DuPont Road area. Yep. Uh, all those neighborhoods out there, Oakmont, Woodmont, Lacabrea, yep. uh, Windsor Woods, all of those. They all came into the city, and they were all Republican. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, Tom Didier, who is now running for mayor, ran against me, and he beat me. Uh, and so I was off of city council. That was in 2004, and that was okay. I, mean, I served 20 years, I and mean, that, was, that was a good run. Yeah. Uh, but then our mayor at the time, Graham Richard, uh, who had served two terms, uh, decided he was not going to run for a third term, and the Democrats didn't have anybody. Mm. So they asked me to run, and I said no. Uh, I had had enough. Uh, they still couldn't find anybody, so they asked me again. I said no. So they asked my wife. Uh, she said yes. Uh, <laughs> so I said yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and I uh, ran and, and won, and wow. I've been mayor ever since. That's awesome. How long are mayor terms? Are they ten years? Four years. Four years. Okay. So I'm in my, I'm finishing up my, my uh, fourth term. Mm. Awesome. So I'll have uh, 16 years as mayor. Wow. And wanting to do another four because much of the work that we, much of the many of the plans that we put together, my staff and I, mm-hmm. administrative team, uh, fell behind during the pandemic. Sure. We didn't. We didn't have the money because we had to spend it on other things. Excuse me. Other priorities or supplies on the whole supply and demand chain. Uh, that was all screwed up, so a lot of things, and prices went through the ceiling, so we had to change our priorities. But now we're back almost pre-pandemic, so we can now begin to do some of those things. Well, I'm in my last year of this term, so the only way I could continue would be to run again. Yep. I was actually, I'm glad you actually mentioned that because I literally wrote this down. Uh, I, this is more just for me. I'm kind of curious, sure. but I think other people would want to know too. What What is next for Fort Wayne? Like, what do you see coming up? Because I mean, like for anybody who's not here, uh-huh. like, you know, we've got a lot going on, like sure. the electric works. I mean, the river, yeah, I don't know yeah. what's going underneath there, but hopefully freaking the McCullough house gets out of the flood zone. <laughs> um, <laughs> we bought that. So I'm like, oh, all right, so hopefully that, like, we're just hoping that, you know, all this stuff is seen all the way through, but I'm wondering, like from your perspective, like what is next for Fort Wayne? Well, I, t- I try to look at it beyond just one specific um, goal. Mm-hmm. We have about nine divisions in our city. For instance, we have the police department. Okay, are we doing all we can do with our police department? Well, the answer is no. We can do we can do even more. Now we're doing a heck of a job. I mean, mm-hmm. our crime violent crime rate is down. One of the very few communities. Uh, of our size in the country, where the crime, violent crime rate is down. You wow. know, this, you know, we, and the homicides that we have had, we have solved most of them already. Wow. So our, 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 our police officers, detectives are outstanding. But I'd like to bring in, we've recently purchased some drones. Yep. I'd like to make them now part of our first response team. Mm. Right now they're used as backup. I want to bring them to the forefront and use them more actively. Uh, I want to increase the number of police officers, primarily because we're now taking on more areas of responsibility. For instance, you mentioned the rivers. Mm-hmm. Well, we now have dozens and dozens of boats that use the rivers. Yep. And in front of Promenade Park, it's supposed to be a no-wake zone. Mm. Well, you got a speedboat, you're not going to make it a no-wake, you're going to you're mm-hmm. going to speed through there. You're going to show off your boat to all the people in the park. <laughs> well, no, you can't do that uh, because we've got canoes, we've got mm-hmm. kayaks, and you flip people over. Mm-hmm. So now we've hired several police officers whose job is going to be to patrol the rivers. We're mm-hmm. actually going to get them a police boat, 
and their job is to make sure that if you're on the river that you're behaving yourself. Plus, we have a number of party boats on the river. People have sometimes they imbibe too much and they fall off the boat or um, they cause a ruckus. Well, now we've got somebody there to to quiet them down. Uh, uh, We also are now hiring social workers for our police department. Police officers are not trained to take care of the homeless. Mm -hmm. They're not trained in addiction Mm -hmm. problems or in mental health. Mm -hmm. They're trained as police officers. They're Mm -hmm. combat police officers. Mm -hmm. So they get put in these situations and they try to go back on some of their psychological training, but sometimes it takes a lot more than that. So now we're hiring, as police officers, social workers. Mm. And so if there's a domestic disturbance or homeless situation, we can bring in a social worker who is trained in those areas. So we're adding that onto the force. Wow. Uh, we're, uh, we're going to invest in a, uh, a real-time uh, computer system for uh, a lot of our investigations so we don't have to send it out to the state police and to federal agencies. We can do the work in-house. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so... But that's public safety. We're going to add on another, we're going to build another fire station in Wayndale. Wow. They don't know that yet, but we've secured the property and I'm going to build them a new because we only have one out in that area uh, to cover pretty big areas. So we're going to add another one. But these are areas, and then I take a look at downtown. You know, in the downtown over the past 10 years, we've invested over a billion dollars. Yeah. But look what it's done. It's done a lot. It's we've quadrupled the amount of people living downtown. Mm-hmm. Quadrupled, uh, uh, and we have, of course, Parkview Field. We have the landing. We have Electric Works. We have all these new offerings that bring people downtown, and that's what we wanted to do. Uh, we, you know, our uh, our park system. Uh, we're redoing Frankie Park. We're adding a new entrance into Frankie oh, Park. I didn't know that. You know, off of Goshen Road. That's uh, awesome. Well, yeah, now he takes only, his daughter there a lot. There's mm-hmm. only one way to get into Frankie Park, mm-hmm. and that's off of Sherman, Sherman yep. Boulevard by, by the zoo. Well, if you've got, in the summertime, if you've got the zoo open, you've yeah. got the parks open, you've got a concert going on at the Fullinger, you got one entrance. Yep. It's a zoo. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Literally. Uh, and, and yet we have 20,000 cars coming in Goshen Road from the west mm-hmm. every day from people who work out west, like at Sweetwater or at Amazon, Columbia City, Plymouth, Warsaw, all those people come into the big city. They come in down Goshen Road. Well, now they're gonna go to the park, they don't have to go down, go around about down Sherman. We're gonna build a brand new entrance off of Goshen Road. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're gonna build a new pavilion, which is gonna be year round. So it'll be air conditioned and heated. So you can have functions during the winter. Wow. but that's our, because we love our parks. We have 100 yeah. parks in our city, and we love them They're all. They're huge. We're going to add on to Riverfront, uh, yeah. Promenade Park. We're building. Are you going down towards Hugh McCulloch House or that? Uh, not yet. We're in, uh, that's phase three. Okay, let's go. We're in phase go. two now, which goes down to Martin Luther King Bridge. Okay. And then uh, right now it stops at Harrison there. Yep. It'll go down to Martin Luther. And then we go back towards Sweeney. Okay. And that'll be in that area. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, but we've got millions of dollars set aside for that, and we continue to fundraise for that. And I can go on and on, but these are all areas where each division or each category probably has a need, an immediate need, or something that would be cool to have in the future. Yeah. 
And that's my job, yep. is to sit down with my cabinet and say, okay, where are we? Where would we like to be? Yep. Um, it's, uh, 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 it's, it's, it's challenging. Access to capital is always a concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, you never have enough money. 100%. Uh, but uh, if you can, again, practice conservative f- fiscal thinking, yep. uh, you can uh, you can make a dollar a dollar stretch. I love it. I Man, you got so much that I want to ask now. <laughs> I'm like, man, I guess the main thing that I want to talk about sure. now that leads into it, then I want to ask a different question sure. about like specifics. Yeah. But uh, how do you manage so many different things? Because like you just said, there's, you know, seven different divisions. You're, you just <laughs> talked about like right. all those different things. Like how like you're looking big picture. You know what I mean? Like you're looking at a city. Yeah. Whereas like when when I look at stuff, I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm thinking big picture in my mm-hmm, mind mm-hmm. when I'm looking at okay we have you know nine different people that i'm like okay we got these different departments we got project management we got the transaction coordinator we have Uh acquisitions you're looking at a city how do you like manage all this in your head like do you have the people that you have and then like how do you go that big picture and how do you manage all those thoughts well i think the first thing we i tried to do when i first became mayor was to sit down and really try to determine what our job is as much as we would like to, you can't be everything to everybody. Yeah. So I have people come to my office uh, who are very sincere people who really have a, uh, a desire to, to, to do something good for the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might be in an area where the city has no authority. Mm. So I have to tell them no. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very hard to do, especially if you believe in what they're doing. Yeah. It's just that the city is not the vehicle. Mm-hmm. What I try to do is refer them to the right vehicle. Yep. It might be a county matter. It might be a state matter. It might be a federal matter. It could be a, a Fort Wayne Community School System. So I try to find something for them if I can't. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I tried to do was determine, okay, what, what can I do and what can't I do? Mm-hmm. Okay, once, I, once I identified what the parameters were, for the areas that we could accept responsibility. Then I begin to say, okay, now, uh, infrastructure. Okay, that's the city's responsibility. Streets, curbs, sidewalks, street lights. Where are we and where should we be and where do we wanna be? When I first became mayor, we didn't have any roundabouts. Mm -hmm. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate? It's not like what you see on HGTV. We created a course to show you how to really invest and create a profitable flipping and wholesaling business. We show you where to find the money, how to find the deals, and how to negotiate the deals. We go over live sales calls, including negotiations, scripts, role-playing, and so much more. Everything that you need to know to flip houses is in this course. And if there's a video that we didn't make that you want, we'll make it for you. This knowledge has made us well over a million dollars and it's available right now for $9.97. Click the link below, buy the course. In our city, the first one we built was on Superior. Mm-hmm. And then we built another one out, uh, out east. And then yep. we built another one of Five Points and we've got about another half a dozen in the works uh, because we determined that that is a new way of moving traffic. Way better flow. And, 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 a, and it's a safe way. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of our vision, mm-hmm. if you will, for, for infrastructure. We also know that we had a lot of 
uh, intersections, sidewalk intersections uh, that were not ADA compliant. Mm. So we went, so okay, we need to build curb openings for wheelchairs. Hey, do we have the money? Yes, but you know what? Um, there's also some money available at the federal level mm-hmm. for eight. So we would apply for grants. So I hired a person. That's what she does. She researches and applies for grants all the time. That's what I mean, though. Like, you're getting so much into the details. And I'm like, dude, how do you know all these details if you're thinking that big picture? I guess that's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm like, because for me, I'm like, I don't want to know the details. I want to know. But then, like, it sounds like you know all the details, too. So well, Yeah, I've been around a while. But it... it Fellows, the real secret, and I and I think any CEO would tell you this. And I, I was very very blessed to have learned it quickly. Uh, you're only as good as your staff. Mm-hmm. When I became mayor, uh, most of the people that w- had worked for the previous administration uh, stayed with me. I interviewed them. I liked what they had to say. Very similar to. To this, I didn't understand half of what they were saying, but mm-hmm. I liked what I heard. Mm-hmm. So I asked them to stay, and they, most of them did. Few of them didn't. Uh, and over the years, most of them have have stayed, or I've uh, they've retired, and I promoted next in line. Uh, if you hire people that know what they're doing, I mean, I'll sit down in meetings with my director of information technology. Half the time, I have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> But it sure sounds good. Yeah. And eventually I'll say, Jim, you got to break that down in the lamest terms. Mm-hmm. Then he'll explain to me, and sometimes I actually have to draw it out. This is what I'm trying to do as far as cybersecurity. Then it clicks. Mm. And I begin to understand where he's going. Then we set up a price tag and time frame and all of that. So it's a lot of times just relying on on the, on the on your staff people, yep. and because they're so good i happen to pick up some of it along the way that's awesome <laughs> so you can ask okay <laughs> i was gonna say uh i was i was a mayor too um oh really it, it was kid city you know like sixth grade this or whatever town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know i got elected good mayor but i immediately felt myself creating this new persona mm-hmm. because i was the mayor so mm-hmm. i started speaking a different way and they had me like introduce yeah. everybody in the town and everything like that yeah. and so for me it was more of like a mask so as a mayor you know you have this duality where like you're a human being yeah. But you also need to, like, portray Mm -hmm. because of other people's expectations and the media. And then you're constantly under this magnifying glass, too. How do you manage to be your authentic self and be genuine and then also hold back sometimes and, like, not say everything that you are actually thinking? That'd be really difficult for us because we're pretty off the (laughs) cuff. Well, you, you have to know your audience. You know, I can sit here with you two guys and be pretty candid. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if I'm at the White House, okay, there's a certain decorum that they expect. Uh, Or if I'm testifying in front of the Senate, and in both cases I've had that opportunity, uh, if you know your audience, you know you're not supposed to go over there, first of all, in 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 jeans and a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, you're not supposed to use foul language. Uh, you're supposed to use uh, relatively good English, uh, because it's expected of you, uh, expected because you're in the role that you're in. Mm-hmm. Now that's not really putting on uh, a mask. It's just uh, 
adjusting to the environment mm-hmm. that you're in. Uh, you know, you don't go to a, a black tie dinner, okay, and uh, and uh, make a fool of yourself uh, because that will stay with you forever. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not to say that we aren't human. Uh, and as you said a few minutes ago, uh, you know, we, we uh, a lot of people expect certain behaviors of a, a person in an elected position, whether it's city council, mayor, governor. Even or a member, pastor. Mm-hmm. Even a pastor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lord knows we're all human. Mm-hmm. You know, I had an incident last October uh, where uh, I was at a function and I imbibed too much. Uh, and uh, it put me in a very, very awkward position. Uh, one that, you know, unfortunately um, uh, put a real chink in my armor, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hurt my family, uh, embarrassed my wife and my children, embarrassed me. Uh, but I'm only human. And for those of us who do uh, drink from time to time, whether it's you know, straight alcohol or wine or beer, whatever, uh, if you decide to to imbibe, you're gonna, you may put yourself in a vulnerable position. You know, 0.08 is not very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot less uh, than it, <laughs> than you think. How much is it? Like a drink or a, a couple of beers? Like three. Yeah, three. two or three beers. After okay. two or three beers, legally, uh, you're drunk. I mean, I'm pretty messed up after two or three. Anyway. <laughs> like if I do it on an empty stomach, woo! That, that might be too, depending upon medications that you're on and things and like that. that is true you too. Know, you could be on, you're, yeah. you're right. You could be on a vasodilator, drink one yep. alcoholic yep. beverage, yep. and be really messed up. You're right. Get in a car, get pulled over mm-hmm. because they saw you pull out without any headlights on, and then they smell your breath, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah we're gonna." <laughs> well, that's. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Your, your physical makeup. Uh, the medications, uh, your mental condition, uh, there's a lot of things at play. And women, historically, historically, women normally can't hold as much as men. Now, I'm not, I don't want women calling me, but that's historically. There, there's going to be a woman that's just like, they're gonna be like you, you know how much I can drink? Like, uh, watch yeah, this. Exactly. <laughs> but, but those are, but you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, there are all kinds of variables. In, in, in my situation, unfortunately, I probably had uh, too many glasses of wine, not realizing at the time it was a huge function and lasted several hours, so you don't even pay attention. Yeah, yeah I should have. Uh, again, especially in my position, uh, but I didn't. Uh, and I put myself and others in a, in a very uh, vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I admit it. Uh, Obviously, I paid a heck of a price for it financially and otherwise. Uh, well, you had to pay a price financially? I had to pay for the person's car that I hit and the city car that I was driving. I had to pay to get it all fixed. Oh, in. insurance doesn't cover it? Well, it, it would have, but I, I, I paid for it. Wow. It was my fault. Yeah. Um, the uh, And I paid, again, for the city car and her car, plus I paid a substantial fine and court costs. But that's okay. I yeah. It was my fault. Sure. Uh, and I should have paid it. Uh, and uh, uh, 
and, and I lost my license for 90 days. That was hard. Oh, my God! People don't realize how dependent uh, many of us, how dependent so many of us are on our vehicles. Yeah. Uh, when I had the bum rides every day to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's when you hire a limo driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for real. I, I seriously went up like, all right, I'm pulling up in a limo now. Yeah, I bummed rides to work and, and, and uh, Ubered, Ubered home. Yeah. Uh, so it got to be very expensive. Mm. But again, uh, something significantly worse could have happened. 100%. So I was really very fortunate. And my only plea to others is uh, even if you don't think that you are, if you know you've had uh, too much to drink, for God's sake, get a ride home or Uber home. Yeah. Uh, don't put yourself in, in, in that position. Um, but it does, um, uh, if nothing else, lets people know that we're not invincible. Yeah. And, and uh just because I hold an elected position doesn't mean I can't stumble. Yeah. Well, it's also, again, like it's hard to like be like, okay, do I not drink? Do I not yeah. do these things? Mm-hmm. And then whenever you do that too, then it's interesting how that affects you in another way. So You're if you're shaping your behavior yeah, around oh, yeah. exactly, expectations. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. now who are you? <laughs> then it's like, okay, are you who you are? Or are you who other people want you to be or expect you to be? And then you lose yourself in that too. So, I mean, there's it, been a couple of times I probably shouldn't have drove home and I drove home and now like looking back at it, I'm like, man, it would have been like, yeah. I didn't trust Uber as much as I do now. Yeah. I probably yeah. could have just grabbed an Uber, yeah. been home, came back early in the morning, picked up the car, drove yeah. back home well, when I was back. Called me the next day, who I did not know, uh, but took the call, and he said, "Mayor, you don't know me, but I was out the same time you were. Mm-hmm. I was driving. Probably haven't had too much to drink. They got you. They didn't get me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I'm not. I'm not saying people should do that, no. but it is in many cases. It's kind of a relatable crime. People, if if they imbibe at all." Mm-hmm. They probably have had times in their life where, geez, I was, if nothing else, I was on the fringe. Mm -hmm. For me, I can't tell. I literally can't tell if I'm too tired because, like, you know, most of the time it's like midnight and I go to bed at 10. Mm -hmm. So midnight's Mm -hmm. a long time for me. So I'm like, man, I'm like, dude, I can't tell if I'm tired or that's drinking. But my car kind of drives itself. So I'm like, (laughs) I I keep me in the lanes and the the automatics. I'm like, it'll be all right. Dakota would be in the news so much as the mayor because they'd be like, Mayor loses license, mm-hmm. buys expensive limo to drive himself <laughs> around, and then they'd be like, they'd like, be like talking about his Rolex watch because the code just got a Rolex, and there'd be so much criticism constantly. Well, I, but, just about, but that's one of the one of the one of the responsibilities that you have to accept yeah. when you get into public service mm-hmm. is there are certain expectations of you. Mm-hmm. So you have to just sure. adjust your behavior accordingly. You know, uh, do you don't drink at all? Well, no, it's probably too severe if, in fact, you do yeah. like to. So if I'm going to, you know, uh, open up German Fest with everybody and, and drink a beer, well, that's, that, that's okay. Right. Sure. But you don't sit down at the local bar as mayor at the end of the bar, like Norm on Cheers, and, sure. and, and drink all night. Yep. Uh, so yeah, you've got to be able to figure all that out, you know. Yeah. And you know what what events is it acceptable? Sure. Which events shouldn't it be? Uh, yeah. 
but those are those are again decisions yeah. that you have to make. Yeah, and I mean, I think uh, I think a lot of people, you know, they always want to own businesses and do all this stuff. But like, uh, what you realize is, just like you said, you're you have a responsibility to everybody in the city. We have a smaller responsibility to everybody who works for us. Like, I feel a massive amount of responsibility. Sure. Um, but I also like that's why we ask these questions honestly because it does feel like you start to change yourself a little bit in order for them. I'm like, man, but I can't. I don't want to lose who I am in order to please yeah. them because that's oh, no, an issue you too. You got to be true to yourself. That's, yeah. no, that, that, that's true. But if you can set the parameters yeah. so that you don't lose who you are. Um, you know, when I was in the, when the Army, I, I was uh, stationed with a, with a young man who was a graduate of West Point. Mm. And uh, outstanding individual. He became a tremendous officer. But they have a, a maxim at, at West Point. And uh, I, I tried to memorize it at the time. And in fact, I still have a plaque uh, with the, the, four, um, the four sentences on it that uh, West Point cadets use. And, you know, uh, and I'm going to try to remember them now because <laughs> it really, uh, I think, a, a good um, uh, path for people to follow. You know, one is, one is uh, it just is, you know, uh, Risk more than others think is safe. Mm. Uh, dream more than others think is practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, expect more than others think is possible. And uh, care more than others think is wise. Wow. Uh, but those four, again, it's, and it's still West Point maxim. Uh, but you think about that uh, as mayor. I, I try to care mm-hmm. for the two hundred and sixty-five thousand people of our city. That's yeah. my second family. Yeah, uh, I I have taken a significant amount of risks trying to move the city forward. 100%. Most of the time they've worked out, but not always. Sure. Uh, I uh, uh, I do dream a lot. Yeah. My staff dreams a lot. When we go on retreat, uh, we get crazy sometimes. <laughs> uh, Are you letting deals fall through the cracks because you don't have good systems in place? We've been there before, and honestly, we've tried several different CRMs, and RE Simply has been the absolute best. RE Simply tracks your KPIs, does automatic follow-ups for you, and even records incoming phone calls. The system is very easy to use, and honestly, it has more features than we even know what to do with. If you're looking for a great CRM, try RE Simply today. Click the link in the description below. Check it out now. But, you know, interestingly enough, some of those crazy dreams uh, have come true. Yep. Uh, who would have thought 20 years ago that we'd have Promenade Park? At that time, we were putting up sandbags fighting the rivers. Mm-hmm. And now we're embracing the rivers. Yeah. Who would have thunk, yep. <laughs> you know, as they say. Uh, and I expect a lot of my staff. Uh, I push them hard. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of fun. But they also know they have a tremendous responsibility, too. Mm-hmm in their respective areas. So I, uh, I expect more than most people think is possible from my staff because I know they can do it. I love that. So I love that, man. I got so much I want to go on on that, but we're, we're running out <laughs> of time, time a little bit. But I do want to ask this question because I think, sure. uh, so we have a lot of real estate people that listen, yeah. and I'm, I'm honestly curious too. So uh, in town, flippers uh-huh. get a lot of bad names, you know what I mean? Because like they cover yeah. up uh, foundation stuff and uh, different things like that. I'm just curious on how you feel about landlords, mm-hmm. flippers, 
from your personal perspective. Mm -hmm. And then to add on to that, um, what do you think is something that we could do better as landlords? Because we also, Tony and I uh, just bought the local Fort Wayne uh, Real Estate Investors Association. Oh, great. So Super. that's actually tonight. Congratulations. Um, yeah. So oh, we great. also, we always want to help other investors because mm -hmm. like, we are very big on doing it ethically, doing the right thing, and like you know, making sure that we are providing good housing for people and not just being slumlords or yeah. anything like that. Like it's very important for us. But just I want to hear what you think about well, that's them. A, that's a key word when you said slum landlord. Yeah, I don't have any problem with landlords at all. In fact, I have several brothers who are landlords. Some commercial, some residential, some both. Uh, several of my friends are landlords. Uh, again, primarily in the residential area. Uh, that is a good business venture. It's a good way to make some money uh, on the front end and on the back end. Uh, I don't have a problem with it at all. It, it, it's, it's a good, solid uh, business practice. If you do what you're supposed to do within the professional standards of being a landlord. Mm -hmm. When you mention slum landlord, that's where the problem is. And unfortunately, many of them are absentee. Mm -hmm. uh, my code enforcement department, uh, they have a heck of a time because they'll go to homes uh, that are rented and the homes are in, in, in deplorable shape and we can't find the landlord. Mm. So then, you know, what do we do? Call uh, us. <laughs> well, well, this is, you know, we put together grant programs for people. Mm -hmm. uh, we've, uh, during United Way of Caring, we give them homes. to. So we, you know, we're trying to utilize as many measures as we can. But sometimes you get to a wit's end mm -hmm. and there's nothing we can do. So unfortunately, sometimes we have to condemn the home. Mm -hmm. It's not livable. Mm -hmm. Poor people who live there have to move out, try to find somewhere else, and sometimes we have to raise the home. Mm -hmm. uh, those that, That's a terrible thing to have to do, to tear down yeah. a house. Uh, but when you have landlords who accept no responsibility other than try to bleed the hospital for all, or hospital, the home for all they can get in that form of hospitality business, uh, that that causes me a lot of angst. Sure. Now, as far as flipping, again, that's another business venture that can be very profitable. Uh, the uh, for those uh, who are in a position where they have to sell, and you get an unscrupulous uh, person in there who is flipping, so they can make a significant money and they, a significant amount of money, and they're using the current homeowner as kind of a victim. That. It ticks me off too, yeah, it. But uh, so again, to answer your question, I don't have any problem with the professions. It's tactics sure. that causes me 100%. some real angst. Yeah. So I want to talk about one thing that you just sure. said there. So I always uh, I always find that interesting uh, that people bring up the situation because obviously these people usually got themselves in a very bad situation over like the last 10 years based on decisions that they've made yeah. and so like while i'm like okay what we always do is where are you guys at what do you want and how can we get you guys that so we actually we negotiate Great. a lot with um uh, snow and sour tech oh, because sure. yeah uh, so Paul yeah Sauertag's we talked to them good man. 
Yeah, so we talk to them a lot and then like, you know, say, okay, hey, what can we do to get this person the most amount mm -hmm. of money as we possibly can? So we've actually negotiate with people Great. for their behalf. Good. We call and we call the banks. We do everything we can to get Good. them as much money. Good. But I also let them know that it is our goal to buy that property for as little amount as possible. And I'm very straight up with people. So I don't think that it's a problem of how much money you make or what, like if, you know, you say that you want to buy it for as low as possible, as long as I'm not lying or doing anything unethical in order to do that, I'm, I'm very clear. Hey, our goal is to buy this for a little amount of money as possible. So you can, you know, so you can turn around and make a profit exactly, yourself. Exactly. Yep. And if 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 the homeowner is in a position where, uh, again, they can they can take that money and be okay. Yep. I don't have any problem. It's 100%. when it's when people go in and victimize people. Sure. That's what bothers me. Yep. Um, yeah, we always just say, okay, where are you at? What do you want? And a lot of people think, especially real estate agents usually, is like, well, the only way to solve their problem is to give them the most money. That's not always solving yeah. their problem. It's yeah. like, no, what do you really yeah. want? Mm -hmm. What is going to solve? Where do you want to go? What's your next steps? Mm -hmm. And then how can we come to that? Uh, oh, you're fine. How can we come to that uh, that agreeance and meet in the middle of where it's going to work out? But um, I guess my main question is, I know you talked about how flippers and then landlords are, um, you know, it's a good business. I'm curious to what you think if it's good for the city. City, though well we need to have affordable housing mm -hmm. that's probably our biggest well one of our biggest challenges right now we've got subdivisions being built all over the place between here and, and Huntertown yep. a number of subdivisions are going out there's new ones going out east towards uh, New Haven there's I'm not gonna say there's plenty of new houses but there's a significant amount of new homes being built for those who are in a position financially to afford to buy something market sure we have a significant amount of people, though, in our community who can't who can't make that make that run. Yep. They need to have something else available to them. We have a shortage of available housing for those who have uh, lesser financial uh, resources, and it's not just the poor. It's not just uh, uh, people who have been displaced their jobs. And a, a significant number of people are now the elderly. Mm. They've many times they've taken out uh, um, reverse mortgages. Uh, exactly, mm -hmm. reverse mortgages. And I suppose in certain realms that's fine, but in many cases they've taken it, and now they're in a heck of a bind because mm -hmm. they they end up having to sell their home. It goes to whomever and now they've got a real limited income and very few financial resources mm -hmm. what, what do we do with them uh there's nursing homes they're expensive exactly they're ridiculous exactly uh and some of these newer retirement communities are very nice but also very expensive so we have uh and i heard the number recently and i'm, I'm not i can't remember exactly but there are thousands thousands of requests out there for affordable housing that we don't have. Uh, now we're trying to work out some arrangements with some uh, apartment builders to say, we'll give you some money or we'll help you financially, either through the federal government or locally, but we want you to set aside 20% of your apartments for, for affordable housing. Mm. Uh, it's got to be significantly less than the $2,000 a month that you're charging or yeah. whatever. Uh, so, you know, And there are several things out there we can do, and that's what we're working on now. But, yeah, it's 
uh, affordable housing. So re- and it's not just That's what I was about to say. It's not just here. It's oh, everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's Absol- everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah, Presley and I were reading a magazine. Presley's my daughter. And I was sitting in the car place getting two new front tires. And while I was in there, I was reading a magazine. And it was saying that 26% of retired aged people haven't saved any money for retirement. So 26%. Then it was saying that when people do retire, if they're fully reliant on Social Security, they're only receiving 40% of what they did while they were working. So the the retired, I mean, baby boomers are that age now to the Mm -hmm. point where like older folks are going to need a lot of help. You're right. You're absolutely right. Most people don't have a, a, a savings accounts That'll take them any further than a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, many of them have not um, invested in, in uh, anything that will give them any kind of true return, like a, yeah. a, a significant uh, a home or a business. Um, uh, and that, that's put a lot of people in very, very vulnerable positions, yeah. Yeah, that's why – I mean, that's also why we do the Fort Wayne RIA as well yeah. is because, like, man, like uh, – so, I mean, you know – not, we can't get into both Tony and I's story all the way, but, I mean, I grew up in, we both grew up around Kendallville. Oh, grew up very sure. poor. I grew up in foster care, and Tony grew up, you know, like lower middle class. So it's not like we had a lot of money or anything mm-hmm. like that. But we found a way to do it with none of our own money. The yeah. banks fund the whole thing. So, sure. like, anybody can do it because it, it takes no money. So who can do it? Everybody. It's just like getting the resources, the knowledge. And so that's what we want to do is get the knowledge out there. That's why we have stuff like this. It's like, okay, let's do this podcast. Let's do other ways to give back because everybody, it's possible for everybody. And it's not like they have to go be landlords and have a bunch of properties like us flip. No, if you get one or two properties, that can change your financial future for a long time. You get a couple properties, maybe even one every two years. That's now your savings account. That's your 401k. It'll be, it's... Uh, yeah, it'll change people's lives. So that's what we look at. Is it's not as difficult as everybody thinks. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just re- the, the right education and the right uh, mindset. Really, that's what it mostly is, the mindset. Sure. That's the hardest part. But, Agreed. Yeah. So we have uh, an ending question I want to make sure that we ask you. <laughs> sure. Uh, this is end of life. Okay, so you've reached 100 years old, and you're on your deathbed. <laughs> okay. And... You've got a final message to the world. So it could be a mantra. It could be a couple sentences. It could be a paragraph. Whatever it is that you think is meaningful, maybe it's on a billboard, maybe it's on your tombstone, something that people are going to remember. This is Tom Henry's message to the world. Mm-hmm. And it's your final message. You're on your deathbed. Last meaningful thing you get to say to the world, your message. Well, I, I, I wish I had something really profound. Uh, but I guess uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. Um, I'll give you a story real quick before yeah, we love go it. off the air. Uh, my two twin brothers, the ones I mentioned earlier, they were uh, uh, in, sec- uh, in, uh, in uh, elementary school, middle school, and my, it was parent-teacher uh, day, and my mother and father went in to speak to their teacher, and uh, the teacher said, you know, your two sons, um, I know they're smart. They just aren't 
they just aren't uh, applying themselves. They could do much better if they could just you know work harder and, and do. And my father listened, uh, and after uh, the teacher was done, he said, "You know, you're right. Our son should probably be studying more, and he said, we can work on that. But I want to ask you a question: How do they get along with their classmates?" And the teacher said, well, they're born leaders. I mean, they just, you know, everybody loves them. They have fun, you know, all this. And my father said, you know, at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. Wow. You can be the smartest person in the world, but if you're a jerk, mm-hmm. you're not going to go very far. Yeah. Conversely, if you're not have very much money at all, but if everybody loves you, then you're the richest man in the world. It's all about relationships. That's awesome. All right, cool. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? I did not know you had a podcast. So give a (laughs) shout out on your podcast and like uh, let people know how to get a hold of you if they want to talk to you or anything. Well, anything you want to plug? (laughs) (laughs) We do have an active website. Uh, Of course, the city of Fort Wayne uh, dot org is our standard one. But you can also go to uh, to mayor. Of, uh, of of Fort Wayne and dot uh, org and get the same thing. I love it. Thank you so much for coming Thank on, you. man. Yeah, like, My pleasure. I, yeah, I'll be honest. Like we didn't get through like any of these I questions. Know, I'm, I'm like, man, I wanted to go through so much more. I'm like, dang, we could have went forever. But yeah, perhaps uh, another time. I, yeah, for sure. And I I just want to say that uh, yeah, I think a lot of people got a lot of information, but also like I'll be honest with you, I thought that this was going to be. More, we saw Donald Trump one time, and he was so political. I'm like. Dude, could you just like t- like <laughs> talk and like be real? And so I was expecting the same thing, but I can tell like you're just very genuine and yeah, real. So you. yeah, thank you for My for uh, yeah for being genuine and uh, yeah for being the mayor. Well, thank you so much. Thank both of you. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you guys for watching. We'll see you on the next one. Peace.